Well, as we um, continue, I thought about, I was telling my daughter, I said, I didn't wear plaid this morning. Did you notice our whole praise team is in plaid? I'm like, man, I just feel out of place, you know? Um, but anyway, as we continue um, on this third Sunday of Advent to read about and talk about all the characters that were involved in Jesus' birth, we see at first there's this fear and this confusion from the information that has been received. Even in that cute video, you can see the reactions that were acted out or maybe overacted out. Um, for Mary, you know, when she all of a sudden finds out she's going to have a baby, and Joseph and the shepherds, everybody has this fear and confusion about what they've just heard because you don't hear from angels every day. You don't hear this kind of news every day. And we see and hear in the Gospels that that initial fear and that initial confusion will ultimately turn to joy as the person or persons involved in the birth of Jesus move towards the next steps. And those next steps require their execution, their implementation, and their action. All of them have to act for the people to be fully involved and fully embrace what is happening that they're, they're a part of. And certainly the news that these people first hear it has potential to paralyze them. It has potential to bring them anxiety and fear and all asking all the what ifs. Well, what if this? What if that? You can't imagine all the different things that were going through their head. But in all those situations, God and the angel says to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And you, I have chosen you to be part of the birth of the Savior of the world. So do not be afraid. This is all going to take place. So I want to read this morning from Luke's gospel, and he gives us the most about Jesus' birth. And, but I don't want to talk specifically or read about this morning Jesus' birth. I want us to read about John the Baptist's birth. Now, if you don't know that whole story, I'll kind of fill you in. Some of y'all may know, but some may not. So we know that Mary gets the news that she's going to have a baby. And then, of course, Joseph has to be told um, that it's okay, you know, you can, um, Mary is not lying, okay, that she really is going to have a baby, and uh, so he gets that news, but also we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth are aunt and uncle, I believe, or cousins to, to Mary, and they are told Zechariah is a priest, and he gets to go into the uh, Holy of Holies this one day, and you only get to do that once a year, and they, they, uh, uh, it's a, a process, and he finally gets to be that priest that goes into it that day. And while he's in there, the angel shows up and says, you and your wife are going to have a baby, and he's going to be a special baby. And his question is, how, is this, how can I be sure this is going to happen? There's doubts, because you realize how old we are, right? And I'm thinking, of all people, you should understand this. You're a priest. You know the Old Testament. You know the Old Covenant. Have you ever heard of Sarah and Abraham? You should be aware of this. But he doubts, and the angel says, because you doubted, you're not going to be able to speak for quite a while. And so he can't, he can't speak from that time on. And as he comes out of the Holy of Holies, everybody's like, what's going on? What happened to Zechariah? Has he seen a vision? Has he seen an angel? Uh, and then they eventually find out that an angel told them they're supposed to have a baby. So after this goes on, and he's, he's going to be deaf, or, or I'm going to say mute, I should say, for nine months, he can't speak. That might be um, great for his wife. I don't know. But he can't speak for nine months. So this leads us up into this point where they actually have the baby. And this is what Luke records for us in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. 
Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High." For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Man, that's a lot after you haven't said anything for nine months, right? But this is what he does. He is overwhelmed. It said the Holy Spirit filled him and he prophesied. He said... I now understand that God told me this, and yes, I was skeptical, but now I believe, and this is all about him bringing the Savior into the world, and this baby that you've given to me and my wife is going to be a part of that to lead the way. And in this text, we see that initial fear and confusion that has hit him nine months ago, and probably Elizabeth, has given way to joy in the reality of this good news for this plan that's coming to life. And Zechariah is no longer asking, how can I be sure of this? He knows now it is a reality. He's living it out as he's holding, as he's seeing this little baby. The angel's message was from God, and now he knows. I wasn't hallucinating. I was not crazy. After all these years, my wife is pregnant. And even though he lost the ability to speak for nine months, Zechariah endures all of that because of the joy of not just the baby after all those years of asking for one, but knowing that this baby has an amazing purpose. This baby, if you heard what he said, this baby is going to bring people back to the Lord. He's going to prepare their hearts for the Savior that is coming. And so Zechariah received his voice back, did you notice, when he confirmed about the baby's name. No, it will be John. Now, y'all have been in this situation, I'm sure, when you're naming a baby, right? And everybody thinks it's their job to tell you what to name your baby. Is this not right? I mean, family and friends all want to. And sometimes we, we have the name and we're going to name it. Um, but, I, but I know I had um, in-laws that were school teachers. So you know how that goes. They've always had a bad kid by a certain name. And I remember throwing out names. Oh, no, you can't name him that because 
we've had a bad kid in our class name now. It's like, okay. And so we went through all. But anyway, everybody understands. So this is happening now. People are saying, so what are you going to name him, Elizabeth? And she says, well, we're going to name him John. No, you're not, because nobody in your family's named John. You're not going to. You're surely going to name him after his father. And there's all this commotion, and y'all are laughing, because some of y'all have been through this with family and friends. And finally, she goes, no, it's going to be John. And then they hand the paper because he can't talk yet. And he writes on the paper, his name will be John. Nine months ago, he doubted. But now he says, I'm not going to doubt that angel again. And what he said this baby's name was will be John. And all of a sudden, his mouth was open. What a neat experience. And everybody goes, well, I guess his name's going to be John then. And so uh, think about Elizabeth for a minute, her initial fear and confusion, because when her husband came out of the Holy of Holies that day, as he came out of that, she's waiting. She's, he's waited his whole life to get picked to go in that day and to do those duties as a priest does, and only one can do it. And she can't wait to ask him about that experience. And guess what? He comes home and he can't talk. Think about that. So he has to, to you know, she has to read his lips or he has to write something down for nine months this goes on, but now as she holds that little baby in her arms, as they together realize what a gift God has given them, you, can you imagine the joy they experienced? And it wasn't just with Elizabeth and Zechariah, it was also from Mary. And Mary, from the very beginning, seems to trust God's plan and is a willing participant. She doesn't say, how can I be sure this is going to happen? She just says, how is this going to be? Because I'm a virgin. How is this going to happen? And the Lord explains to her, and then she says, May it be as the Lord says, I am his servant. She is always a willing participant in faith by her action. Then we know that she goes to Elizabeth and sees her. She hears that she's pregnant. And if you remember, we hear that when she walks in and speaks to Elizabeth, what does the baby do in Elizabeth's womb? It leaped. John recognized her voice and they said, wow, the baby recognized that. And then we also know that Mary eventually sings what's called the Magnificat that we read about in the Gospels as well. We're not going to read that today, but I did want to read um, Zechariah's, uh, what he said. Now, how about Joseph, who still has initially this fear and confusion? What do you mean my high school sweetheart is pregnant? I know we've not been together. How can this be? Has she cheated on me? He has to be thinking all these things. But when the angel comes and tells him that Mary's not lying, he knows that it's true. It's confirming for him. And he goes, wow, now that fear and confusion is gone. I know it's true that Mary is going to be pregnant, but it's going to be through the Holy Spirit. And now I can take her home as my wife because Mary is still the girl that I thought she was. And God confirmed that for him. He experienced joy even in the midst of this difficult journey that they would have to take together. Now, then we think about the shepherds, again, this initial fear and confusion. But this is what they do know, y'all. They know that as a shepherd, they couldn't go to Herod's temple and enter that temple. But yet God's bringing them this message. They know that there's, if they can't even get to the temple, they might can get to a certain part. But because of who they are as shepherds, they can't go very far, and they know that. They know there's a limit. There's a ceiling in social society where they can go, and they know this. They've known it their whole life, and they're going, I can't make it to Herod's palace. I can't make it to the temple, but God has come to me. Why is he coming to me to tell us this good news of great joy? And they go in action and see the baby in the manger, and their expectations are joy, as the Scripture tells us, that they found everything just as they had been told. And again, what does that do for somebody who's been told by society, you're not really worthy that God comes to you and gives you this great news? 
And then there's the wise men, and there's a connection in all of this. Have you ever thought about these wise men? We know they're from somewhere far away. Sometimes we think Persia. Sometimes we think Assyria or Babylon. How did these guys know that there was going to be a Savior born in Jerusalem? What did they know about that? Or, or in Israel, they knew about that. How did they know that? They'd been looking for this for years, but how did they know that? Somebody from a different country, a different culture, is knowing that there's going to be a Jewish Savior that's coming in for the whole world. How do they know about that? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you remember God, through prophets, told, and, and when Israel split into the northern kingdom and in the southern kingdom, He says, you better shape up or I'm going to let your enemies come in and invade you. And they go, <laughs> No one's ever going to invade us because we're God's people. And slowly we know that the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians in, in 722 B.C., somewhere around in there. And they fell. And what did they do? The Assyrians marched most of the Jewish people back to Assyria, and they were in exile. But guess what? When the Assyrians saw all these Jewish people come in, they knew, we've defeated you, and your God didn't protect you, but you continue to hope and talk about incessantly this Savior that's coming. This Savior that's coming to save you. They talked about it incessantly for decades and decades and decades. And then in 586 B.C., when the Babylonians came into the southern kingdom and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, they carted them off to Babylon. And again, when the Jews came into Babylon, they heard these Jews who knew they had been defeated and their God did not protect them. They heard over and over and over again about this Savior that's coming. So these wise men have been looking for this for hundreds of years, y'all. And there's been all kind of world leaders that have come in and they go, maybe that's the one. And they were trying to line up the stars and all these things. You go, no, no, he was going to be born in, in Bethlehem or in Jerusalem. Well, no, it's not him. It's not him. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is to be born. And they start lining up things and they make their trip to Bethlehem following this star. And they start looking at the Old Testament prophecies because they had access to Old Testament too. And they go, he's to be born in Bethlehem. And that's where that star is. That's where it's leading us. Maybe this is the one. And they come and they see this baby born in a manger. And it got them thinking about this Savior is not just for the Jewish people. It's for all people. And they understand that when they saw that baby. And then later, you remember, they were supposed to go back to Herod and report to him so I can come and worship him. Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He had all intentions of killing Jesus. So they were told in a dream, don't go back to Herod, but go back to your land a different way. That confirmed for them, this is the Savior. I think that's fascinating that the whole world knew that this Savior was coming that was for everybody. Now, as you hear me talk about all of those angels and visions and God talking to people, you may be sitting here this morning and you go, good for them. That's great. I'm glad that God spoke to them, but I wish God, and I wish this a lot, God would speak to me about my situation. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be great if God would speak into my family situation right now? This relationship situation for you, this thing um, in my business or my work or my job that's going on or, or this world situation, would God speak clearly into that? I don't want to hear another politician. I don't want to hear another uh, movie star or a sports figure tell me the way it should be. I want to know what God thinks. So could he just please speak loudly and clearly to us? Wouldn't that be nice? We wouldn't have to worry, oh, no, that's the real truth. 
But I promise you there would be people to go, oh, that's not really God. That's not really from God. There would always be somebody. But here's the good news, y'all. God has spoken. We are talking about God speaking into the world through all these people. He has spoken. He's speaking to us as we read this again. If you've heard it 50 times or more like I have, he is still speaking to us through what we're hearing today. And he will continue to speak to you and to I, to me, to all people. But do we really believe that? That the words spoken hundreds of years ago still have relevance for you and me today. Do we believe that? So think about for a minute, which character of Jesus' birth do you identify with this season? Is it maybe Zechariah? Is it maybe Elizabeth? Is it maybe Mary or Joseph or Joseph or the shepherds, the wise men, maybe even Herod? Some of us are skeptics or feel threatened by Jesus and what he might do to our life. But look at the diversity in this cast of characters. There's older folks in there. There's middle-aged folks. There's younger folks. There's rich. There's poor. There's influential. There's obscure, powerful, weak, humble people. All, some of them seeking God. Some of them not seeking God. And if you read your Advent devotional this week, I think it was Thursday or Friday where it said, they all had a place of potential, providence, and privilege. Think about that for a minute. All the characters that surrounded Jesus' birth had a place of potential, providence, and privilege. And honestly, y'all, when we hear this story from the Bible, we have that same potential, providence, and privilege when we hear that story. But even today, we still react very differently to the announcement or arrival of Jesus into the world. Or even to someone's life. For some of us see in Jesus a new life. Not only now, we know that it's changed our life personally. When we finally surrender to Jesus, we go, it did something to me. On that special day in my life, it did something to me. You may not believe it, you may not have experienced, but I know I did and it changed my life. And no one can ever change that. You know that. And you know it's not just now. You know that that means for eternity, something different is going to happen because of Jesus coming into the world. But for others, or maybe others you know, you're skeptical. You know, I haven't had that feeling. I haven't had that experience. I hear y'all talking about it, and I read those words in the Bible, but it hasn't done it for me. And I'm glad we celebrate Jesus, and it's sentimental, and there's candles, and there's songs, and I get that, but is it really real? Is it really going to change my life here and now and for eternity? And the answer to that is yes. But you have to experience like all these others our reaction to Jesus may start like some of these other people with fear and confusion. And that's okay. God's okay with that. Remember, Zechariah asked, how can I be sure of this? Mary asked, how will this be? You may be asking those questions today. We may ask, is he real? Is Jesus true? Is he really the son of God? Is he really the savior, the Messiah? We may ask, am I worthy? Why me? Why should I get this? What do I do next? How do I deal with this truth? And when God speaks, we can respond. We can act, can't we? To execute that plan, or we can go another way and execute our own plan. Like people have been doing since the beginning of time in Adam and Eve. God says, I have this wonderful plan for you. And it's really pretty simple. There's only one rule. Don't mess with that tree, okay? And they went and decided to go with another plan. And we know how that ended. And God loved us enough to bring the Savior of the world into because he goes, I don't want y'all to be separated. That was never the plan. But because you are separated, I can't just wink at sin. 
I can't just pretend it didn't happen. I have to do something about it. And so I'm going to bring my son into the world so that you can come back to me. I really believe that God wants us to be the people he created us to be. That was his plan. But many people never take action toward God's plan for their lives. And it can be because of that fear and confusion that those early people went through. It can be because of rebellion or self-centered thoughts. But this week I was listening to some Christmas music by a couple of guys. Some of y'all may know them, you may not. It doesn't really matter, but they're called Shane and Shane. Anybody ever heard of Shane and Shane? Okay, Really good singers, I like them. But they were singing and playing their guitars, and they were singing Joy to the World. And as they sang that song, it was the familiar song that, that we have sung a lot. Uh, during the Advent and Christmas season. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. I'm not going to sing it. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And as they sang through a couple of verses of that, then all of a sudden, without stopping, they went right into another song that was familiar to me, but I wasn't expecting them to go into this song. And it was known as the hymn of joy. Some of you may not know that by name, but as I read the lyrics, you'll probably... Remember it. They went right in from um, joy to the world to joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. Now, some of y'all were probably singing that along. You remember that. That's an old hymn. But I thought about those two songs and how they beautifully brought those two songs together in a very meaningful and beautiful way. But there was two lines, one from each song that stuck out to me. The first one was, let every heart prepare him room. And then in the second song, hearts unfold like flowers before you. Those two lines stuck in my mind. And I thought, hearts don't prepare rooms, they pump blood. Hearts don't unfold like flowers. Flowers do that. Hearts pump blood. But you know what? Those songs, both of those were written way, way long ago. I've looked at the history of both of those songs. And nobody in the history of hearing those songs went, wait a minute, that, that's not what a heart does. No one did that. They understood from living that there's something about the heart that does more than just pump blood, right? And they understood that. So, let every heart prepare him room. And yet different people in different places wrote those songs and people throughout history when they hear them understand. But I think those two lines express what my heart and your heart needs to do during this Advent and Christmas season and that we need to prepare God a place in our hearts. Because a lot of us have got a lot of junk in our hearts. And we need to get rid of some of that and prepare a special place and room for Jesus in our hearts. Because we've got too much stuff. Too much stuff. And then some of us need to allow our hearts to unfold before Jesus. You know, when a, a flower is a bud, it's like this. And eventually it will open up. But our hearts are the same way. Our hearts are like this. I'm not going to tell you what I really feel. I'm not going to tell you what I really think because you might reject me. I don't want you to know the real me because you may not like me. So I'm going to stay like this. I'm never going to unfold before you or God or anybody so we stay closed up. But that's not the beauty that God created us to be, is it? To just stay like this. I understand it. There's times where we don't want to open our hearts to people. 
And it can be out of fear or confusion or, or guilt or shame or whatever it is. But we still stay closed up and God doesn't want us to be like that. But God who created those flowers to bloom is the same God who created us. And he wants us to bloom. He wants us to open up to be who he created us to be. And when we rebelled against his plan, he sent Jesus so that we could be forgiven, restored, and to unfold our hearts before him.